Couldn't take it, couldn't stand another minute. Couldn't bear another day without you in it. All of the joy that I had known for all my life was stripped away from me the minute that you died. To have you in my life was all I ever wanted. But now without you, I'm a soul forever haunted. Can't help but feel that I had taken you for granted. No way in hell that I could never comprehend this. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the AdCast, a podcast for the study of modern visual culture. It's your favorite hunter, Soup. <gasps> Are you a soup hunter? No. I oh. hunt monsters. Oh, that's a little less entertaining. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's just how it that's just how it be sometimes. Um, uh, today, oh excuse no! Excuse you, I have I'm to sorry. introduce myself. You haven't oh introduced my yourself. It is the. <laughs> it's really important for me to say that I am your co-hunter, Renu. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. There you okay. go. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, this week, Ad stands for Armed to the Teeth because we'll be talking about Ruby. Ruby. But before we get into that, what have you been up to? Ooh. Uh, ooh. I've been pretty busy with um, commissions and stuff like that. Lots mm-hmm. of uh, pixel art animations and and all that jazz. Uh, and I've uh, been playing lots of Yakuza Kiwami too. That's been mm. lots of fun. I've been playing D and D. We 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 had to take a break for you know Halloween festivities, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so we just recently resumed, and basically we immediately got into a fight with three dragons, and then my character died. <laughs> okay, yeah, that sounds like Dungeons uh, and Dragons, all right. Yeah. But that through the grace right. of the DM and some luck, my character is now back. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, that's good. It was, it was basically counted as a near-death experience, so I'm, I'm fine with that. <laughs> well, that's, that's good. It's good that you didn't die. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, <laughs> there was that. Um, but yeah, that's basically it. I haven't been up to too any, anything too exciting. <laughs> yeah, so what have you been up to? I have been well. I mean, I mean, I haven't been doing a lot, but I have been watching Adam play through Yakuza Zero. Ah, how are you liking that? Uh, it's pretty, pretty great, honestly. Nice. I, I've never seen a game that makes me feel so many different emotions at the same time. <laughs> it's, it's, it's fascinating. Where. Yeah. It is like this actually legitimately serious, well-written, layered crime drama. Yes. And and then the rest of the game is just you're doing side quests and mini games. Like you're just you're farming yes. the crane machine. Yes. And you're beating up a big man that hurts you for money. <laughs> yes, Mr. Shakedown. <laughs> and uh, you know, you invest in real estate, which is kind of weird. Uh huh. And, and you also have a yeah. cabaret club. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. That's true. Uh, I I've gotten to the part where um, I think I'm where I've stopped watching so far is like chapters six, five, four. Okay, so still pretty much so, in the beginning ish. Right. So very very close to the the beginning. We've just finished like the first part with with Majima, and mm. uh, now we're. Like a chapter or so into into Kiryu's like second deal, where he's okay. like, 
working for Tachibana. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's that's yeah. good. I I figured you would like it because uh, it it does a lot of the crazy stuff that Gintama does, which is like serious it, arc, yeah. amazing comedy, serious arc. <laughs> that's that that's what I noticed is that yeah. is that it's very very Gintama yeah. in how in how it works. There's yeah. just side quests everywhere. Yes. Oh my god! You you like stumble into a side. You're like, oh, I guess I'm mm-hmm. doing a side quest now. Mm-hmm. All the time. You're like, you're just running through the city. You got this like objective objective in your mind, and then you see a little speech like bubble or indication on some rando dude. You talk to him, and it's like, oh, this is another side quest. Okay, well, chalk this one up on the map too. <laughs> see, the reason that I like it is because it's it's like they're they're actually really funny. Yes. In a way that I I haven't seen in a lot of games. It's like, oh, this kid saved up all his money to buy a video game on launch. And then he bought like the last copy. And then he had it stolen from him by a teenager who has it stolen from him by a thug. Who has it stolen from him by a Yakuza. And then the Yakuza (laughs) member is the dad of the original kid with the game stolen. Oh my god, that's so funny. (laughs) I love it because the side quests are genuinely uh, fun to play through versus I think I've gotten very uh, jaded by maybe what happens in a Western RPG or MMO in which the side quest is purely a fetch quest, which Yakuza has fetch quests too, but Mm -hmm. the other side quests are so wonderful and generally the side, uh, the fetch quests lead to, you know, something useful or whatever. But um, it's like the side quests in a lot of uh, Western games that I've played recently have just like, they felt so like empty or like filler, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. and they didn't have any amount of charm or uh, anything memorable about them, right? Like you you talk about this, this, the side quest with the kid in the video game, and I instantly remembered which one you were talking about, like that just based on that description versus like if I told you, oh, I had to go uh, get... Uh, this feather from this old lady or whatever and you would never know what that meant from another game right (laughs) Uh, that's why i really love the yakuza series because there's so many itty bitty stories in there that they make into side quests and then you remember them even like years later (laughs) god i also find it so funny that like it is at its core like a real estate drama (laughs) and then and then yeah, on top all of zero is yeah <laughs> right and then on top of that there is this entire real estate mini game that you play yes. where the people that you re- you finish side quests for will yes. join you as like yes. managers what what is this like yes it's so I good don't, i don't understand but it somehow all really works well together yeah and i i cannot for the life of me understand why that is but it, it it works and it's so it's so good. Also, I love the introduction scene for Majima is so good. I know it's my favorite part in the whole game. <laughs> is it just his introduction as as the uh, the manager? Oh the, my god, everything about so that. Yeah, yes. everything about it is just so it tells you everything that you need to know about the game. Where yeah. if you have if you have if you want to know what Yakuza is about, you just yeah. watch that that intro scene with Majima. Yeah. And you'll get it. It's it's everything. Yes. It is it is everything. All right, boys, play one with a beat. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's fantastic. And I love that I get to experience it because I don't own a PlayStation 4, so mm. like with Persona 5, I'm just going to watch Adam play it. 
yeah, no, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's well, it's. I'm glad true. you're liking it. Yeah. <laughs> also, it's funny because every time I get a stream notification for you going live half the time it's yakuza and half the time it's like i'm pretty sure you're doing something else but it still says yakuza because twitch app is just broken oh yeah the twitch app is super broken sometimes just busted. half the time i'm doing art other half the time i'm playing yakuza <laughs> okay yeah all right that, yeah. i, I kind of figured it was something like that yeah <laughs> yeah that, that is what i've been doing i've been watching a lot of a lot of yakuza zero <laughs> good <laughs> i'm i'm curious to see where it will go yeah, and this yeah. is like this is like a prequel, right? It is. It's a prequel made after basically all of the games except for the final one, six. Six came out after zero. Then what the heck happens in the other games? Uh a lot of Yakuza drama. Um, oh my god, really? You, yeah, you'll find out uh if you end up I hope Adam ends up playing the rest of them, but um you'll find out if you went watch a playthrough of Kiwami one that it takes a really sharp turn from zero in terms of like the level of drama and oh then my god kiwami 2 feels like a nice little bridge between the stuff in zero and the stuff in kiwami one uh so i'm really really interested <laughs> i wow. love this series i'm gonna keep playing the remakes <laughs> i'm i'm completely shocked that there's even this much of it yeah <laughs> I, I i mean i i'm following the the plot line of the yeah. of the of yakuza zero and yeah. i'm just like this is a prequel yeah what could possibly happen after this point like literally like, so much happens between zero and one and all the beginning of one is just trying to summarize all the stuff that happens between zero and one <laughs> it feels it feels like every time I, like something happens and a twist happens i'm like there's no going back from this there's this is like this is the point of no return and we've made like four of those <laughs> i i don't understand it but i'm so here for the ride yeah yeah <laughs> okay well yeah. i mean that that's what i've been up to sure. uh, let's let's talk about ruby yeah ruby <laughs> so Ruby is a 3D animated series produced by Rooster Teeth and created by original creator Monty Ohm. Ruby takes place in a world infested with monsters where teenagers go to academies to learn how to fight them. Yeah, that's, they're gonna that's be hunters. It. They gotta be hunters. Yeah. Is it an anime? Yes. We're moving on now. <laughs> it's it's anime, just like Steven Universe. <laughs> this, I mean, it is it is a more anime than Steven Universe. It is a lot in, more in anime so far than as Steven like yeah. the the inspiration for it is anime. It was yes. it was coined as as a Western anime. It it it's is so anime. It like, is for all intents and purposes. Anime. Yeah, an, an the anime. looks are anime. Everything's anime. Yeah. <laughs> it's created in the style of anime. It is. Yeah. It has all the tropes. It's yeah. it is an anime. And yeah. just because it's not made by a Japanese studio doesn't mean that it's not an anime. That's not how anime works. Yeah. So let's talk about the animation because yeah. it's it is 3D animated and it is arguably one of the best CG animated series. I would say at this point, right behind Hoseki no Kuni, but that's oh. kind of a it's kind of a new acquisition. I don't I don't I I would highly argue about the animation quality of ruby versus something that's as highly produced as something as jose okay Kukini. so th that's <laughs> the thing right is yeah. that volumes one two and half of three are are created well okay all of season three is created in poser yes. which is an animation program 
that is not as not quite not as robust as uh, other programs are it's not like i don't think it's an industry standard no it's just (laughs) yeah i was gonna say it's just it's just what monty liked to use yes it was specifically a program for him basically getting an insight into the into the workflow it it was basically like monty had hacked that program to hell and back so yeah it makes it makes sense he did what ruby displays in terms of poser's capabilities is like masterclass in terms of you're talking about like if the difference between using ms paint with a mouse versus you know nowadays photoshop uh, right. with a tablet right like that's the difference between using poser versus maya or 3ds max and yeah like as someone who's used both <laughs> it's it's right. wild the differences and when i saw that he he did this whole series in poser at least the first volumes i was uh, my mind was blown right but at the same time you know there is a certain threshold with all of these programs and poser had a very a visible threshold that they hit with Ruby, right? They couldn't right. push it any more than they could have without doing some mad post-compositing. And so uh, with with a web series like this where they have, like, you know, seasonal releases and they don't necessarily have, like, the budget of an entire anime studio, right? They What they did was amazing, but at the same time, the, the quality that they could have produced is just not ever going to be as high as the quality that you would see at an anime studio like you know right and and we and we do see that with later volumes where they've they've switched programs and it looks consistently a lot better yeah a lot of the environments look a lot better a lot of the backgrounds and background characters and uh, and the character models to to some extent i would argue that there is an amount of charm to the original look of the show mm-hmm. um but i think it largely carries over except for in a couple of places where i i don't like it right yeah no it's it it is it is a a valid thing to look at the the absolute technical limitations of yeah. the first couple of seasons of ruby which exist and are clearly on display because yeah. they're okay outside of all of the fight scenes they're very janky it's exactly. not consistent. It's yeah. it's kind of it, they're doing their best, but it's it's just not good. Yeah. And I like the fact that it gets, you know, the visual clarity of the show goes up over time, but yeah. at the same time, it, I feel like and this is con- attributed to a lot of other things, but sure. it loses a lot of the charm that the first couple of volumes has. Yeah. Uh I I would agree um in terms of the animation quality and the writing quality like Okay. They, yeah. They definitely has some trade-offs there. I, I I mean we'll get into this but Yeah. The animation quality is understandable because you know the creator Monty Ohm died halfway through season 3, but the writing quality is like well, okay, we still have the same writers. So you've just <laughs> made a couple mistakes here. And by a couple I mean a lot. And I'm and we're going to get into this, but I have a lot of issues with the way that the show is written. Um but in terms of like the animation overall, it feels like they're testing a lot of waters which i love seeing like there's a lot of experimentation happening and you know it's gonna be hit or miss but as an animator like i enjoy seeing them improve right like first Mm -hmm. it was like you know seeing what all poser can do is like whoa this is amazing you're doing so much with this kind of program uh and then 
the switch over to Maya and then uh, they're actually adding in more post-compositing work in there too with their uh, most recent seasons. Uh, it's looking better and better. And so I'm, I'm proud of the direction that the animation is going in. But again, because, you know, with the loss of Monty Ohm and, and, and the direction of the animation changing, um, you're also going to have a loss of certain things like the content or the quality of the fight scenes. You know, that's a highly debated, mm-hmm. you know, contested topic about Ruby and stuff like that. But uh, uh, I, at the very least, enjoy seeing them, you know, push forward in a direction that they're not necessarily well-versed in. You know, like before this, it was just like, you know, the stuff in red versus blue, you know, like that compared to what they're doing now with Ruby, like the differences are amazing. I I mean, I would say that, and there is a lot of this that is kind of tied to the inner workings of of the studio itself. Mm -hmm. But Monty Ohm as as a creator was probably one of the best animators alive when it oh, came absolutely. to 3D animation. Yeah, uncontested. Yeah. It is and and people I think will I think some people will take issue with with me saying this, but I I legitimately think that Ruby as a as an entity contains some of the best fight scenes in animation. Yes. Like period. Yes. I I struggle to think of a lot of anime that have even anything close to this, right? Mm-hmm. Like obviously I've never watched fate or anything uh like any fate produced by by ufo table but the things that come to mind when i think about the fight scenes in ruby are i think of that last fight in sword of the stranger which Mm. is the best fight animation of all time Mm. and that's kind of it um i in terms of like the depth of the fights and the stories that they tell i i also struggle to think of uh, fight scenes that I've seen in anime that could compare to Monty's work. As, as a singular creator, I think that there's... Yeah, as a singular creator, exactly. Like, you, yeah. in order to produce something that high quality with that level of depth, I feel like is a lot... It's, of course, going to be a lot easier with the team. And so the fact that he was able to do it as one man with, like, an assistant or two is is mind-blowing. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of it's kind of wild. Yeah, I have a lot to say about about Monty Ohm as as a as a an animator, right? Mm-hmm. Because I think that as as a creator, he understands the rhythm, the absolute rhythm that is satisfying f- for a person to watch, right. and how to execute that. Because, right. and this this is a thing where in sort of everything that we we really do, it's kind of controlled by by a sense of rhythm. Right. Right. Like our lives are controlled by our heartbeats, our, you know, we love music, which is rhythm based and even writing to some extent. This is something that Haruki Murakami says when writing, he says, you know, writing should be like, you know, writing music. There should be a rhythm to it. Right. That's exactly what it is. And I think he did a lot of his animating to music, which I think helps Mm. because if you look at the way that Ruby is set up, it's it's actually genius. Mm. Okay, and, and this is a joke, right? It's a joke that everything in Ruby, every weapon is also a gun. But there's mm-hmm. a very good reason for that mm-hmm. from an animation standpoint, which is that it allows you to fill empty spaces and to create empty spaces. Yeah. And that's that's exactly it, right? And like you know about like animation, you know mm-hmm. about the this uh, these ideas of like anticipation, impact and follow through. Yeah. Um where those those seconds between the actions create anticipation, and then it's followed by what should be a, a satisfying impact. Right. 
and then that leads into another action and that's that's actually you know that's why ruby is so good is because it flows from action into a blank space where either there's a moment between two actions where either a gun is being fired a gun is being reloaded or a gun is being like fed ammo like bolted right yeah. that's why a lot of them are bolts like bolt yeah. bolt actions mm-hmm. so it really allows you to have these these moments where it's not just movement all the time because that's mm-hmm. dragon ball z mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and it's not just really boring really sluggish fights because that's every other anime on the face of the planet it <laughs> is it is an actual legitimate feel of of a fight going on this is right there there's a lot of fight choreography in in cinema that's quite like this a lot of um a lot of Jackie Chan movies, right? Like Hong mm-hmm. Kong action movies, mm-hmm. very much, very much like this, right? Yeah, yeah. And and I mean, more more to the point, even on top of understanding the rhythm that a combat follows, right? At the core, which I think is something that Ruby has lost, and I don't think I don't know if it will ever return. Is I I don't know if this is something that can exist without Monty, or rather, I think it can, but it will not. Hmm is this idea of of combat as visual storytelling because and this is the the huge difference between an anime movie like sort of the stranger and just like your run of the mill anime that has a fight scene because it's just that some anime have fight scenes sort of the stranger with its fight scene tells a story right it tells the story of two swordsmen that have fought and survived up until this point and use every opportunity given to them to survive and Mm -hmm. to best each other it's Mm -hmm. a fight with actions and with reactions and use of the environment and it's like perfect Mm -hmm. basically and ruby is largely the same and the thing that ruby does is in giving every character access to things like a gun inside of their weapon or in the case of like you know blake has like a, a a ribbon right Mm-hmm. These things create those those kinds of ability to react to something, right? Yeah, it's something that sets up an action that is then followed up on, which is why it's satisfying to watch. Mm-hmm. And combat as visual storytelling is, I I think it's really really difficult to do because it's yeah. hard to consistently animate or direct someone to fight in a certain style, but. I and I th- I think this is like where Monty's true genius was mm-hmm. where each of his characters which you know he he created you can tell their personality by watching them fight. Yeah, yeah, totally. And this is and th- like this is a specific thing that I'll cite which is look at the yellow trailer uh where Yang is initially introduced and then look at the trailer for I think volume 5 where Yang fights and you can see the difference immediately. Where Mm -hmm. Yang is a character whose style is very grounded in kickboxing. Mm -hmm. And so she wants to stay on the ground and she will do these moves that send her up into the air, but then she'll immediately come back down pretty much as soon as as possible, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas in in the seasons beyond season three, uh, that isn't really present. You know, Mm -hmm. she's just kind of flying all over the place and she's using her shotguns like ranged weapons and it's just a lot of the impact and uniqueness of the character is lost in that. Yeah, I I, I can see what you're saying. Like it, 
a lot of the uh the the personality of the of the character ends up being lost if if that's not the focus of the combat right because the combat mm-hmm. is basically telling the story of the character in right. and their you know conflict with this other character and they're trying to resolve it you know obviously through a fight and uh i think it's it's interesting because it's a it's a similar problem that gets posed in a lot of you know sports anime and like you know we talked about um how the the scenes in Hanebato were really well executed in terms of like whenever they had a face off in a match right and yeah they told sto- and they were executed well because they told stories through their matches right you could t- you could see the motivations very clearly of each character on either side of the net and the way that they executed their moves which ones they they decided to to use and how it affected each each person like you could uh, you could follow it easily and you weren't bored by them, you know, smacking a birdie around, right? <laughs> yeah, Hanabara is actually a super good example of this. Uh, and it's because if you look at Hanabara, and of course it's, you know, the animation is nothing to to sniff at, right? It's mm-hmm. it's rotoscoped and it's animate, it's like animated over, right? Mm-hmm. And it creates this really great, I mean, it, it's a rally, you know, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a rally. Mm-hmm. And... The thing that Hanabato does to supplement this, which is why it ends up being really good in those scenes, is mm-hmm. also including the character like inner monologues, but sure. not having that overtake the scene, right? Right, right. Because it's it's exactly what I was talking about, that principle of motion and stopping, right? Mm-hmm. Of pausing, mm-hmm. right? That's the moment of pause. And if it goes on for too long, you're going to miss it. Yeah. And, yep. and then the pace will feel all off. Whereas... Yeah. You know, in Hanabato, it it you know, it's really good because it transitions seamlessly between you know smacking the birdie, like and then like a shot of of this character and her like knee, and you can hear the strain, and then you mm-hmm. hear her going like shit, right? Mm-hmm. All of that feeds into that, and that's why Ruby I think is so difficult to emulate, is because what Monty's doing is he's doing that with pure motion. Yes, yeah. They one thing that you'll notice with. Uh, his fight scenes in the early volumes is that, and and it's somewhat refreshing too, is that you don't get a lot of that pause. I'm gonna trash talk you in the middle of the fight like bullcrap, right? There, there are some fight scenes that are like that, but it's almost purely just the characters, you know, fire firing things at each other or swinging at each other, and it's it's so cool to see because you get the dialogue the same way, but mm-hmm. better. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And this is this is a huge problem that plagues the rest of Ruby later on, mm-hmm. which is that all of the storytelling goes from visual to lore dumping basically. Mm. You have it told to you mm. rather than being able being able to watch it. And this is like that's the basic principle of writing is showing not telling. And I think Right, right, right. There uh, I I will say that there's some some contention I have towards that because I think that if you're a good enough writer, you're allowed to break the rules and there are times for telling and there are times for showing. But sure. f- for the for the most part, you don't want only one or the other. Right. And and that that was the problem that Ruby ran into is that all of the all of the storytelling got moved from the visual to the dialogue, to the writing. Yeah. Which, I mean, makes sense from yeah. from from a like an internal standpoint. Uh, I think they I'm, had to. Yeah. I, but I'm kind of I'm kind of sad that they did. And well, the, yeah. I mean, OK. And and we should talk about this. Is there was a there was a, an amount of controversy that went on after Monty's passing, where mm. a lot of the animation team either left or was fired and then replaced by people who could 
use Maya, which right. makes sense, but also is like a large part of the reason that the the flavor of Ruby has has changed so drastically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you look and there's and this is like the example where the Mercury versus Yang fight was largely animated without Monty, but it still mm-hmm. is in the same style. Mm-hmm. And it still feels very much like a Monty fight because it upholds the principles that he animated to. Mm. And there are animators out there that can do this, right? Mm-hmm. And one of them that left, the one that, that animated that fight, mostly was, was Shane Newville. And there's some controversy about his his leaving. And he wrote a letter saying, like, this is how the company treated me. And I'm not going to, like, side with a company that's like fucking over its employees, but I'm also not going to, you know, uncritically accept his word as, as what really happened. Um, sure. Right. And like, I will. Yeah. I mean, my, my thought about it is just that it sucks that it had to be that way, but it did. Yeah. Or, or it sucks that it had to be that way, but that's the way that it went. And there's nothing yeah. that, you know, I can personally do about it. Right. And also, uh, like, there okay. There is one specific animator that I'm going to mention here. Okay. Uh, his name is um, Dylan. Uh, his his channel on YouTube is Dylan Goo. And if you watch his animations, he moon he mainly does a lot of these like kind of funny Overwatch characters as cats animations. Okay. But it the the style of it the the combat of it feels very very much like early Ruby. Hmm. Right. And so that's why I'm saying. I don't think it's impossible. I just think they chose not to. Oh, okay, okay. I think I think it I can kind of understand the shift though because it would be like if they tried to find someone with a similar flavor as early Ruby, then it would feel like they were trying to replace Monty. Um and maybe by trying to carry on without uh him and and uh you know, carry on the show um, they decided that it would be necessary to shift the direction because they would never truly be able to replace him. Maybe maybe it would be something along those lines. I mean, uh, I I understand that, right? And yeah. I totally get that. Yeah. And I would be more willing to accept that if the writing was better. <laughs> to be perfectly <laughs> frank. Sure. And, uh, okay, and I, I, I keep talking shit, but, like, the writers know this. Mm. They know what they did with season five. Mm. Well, seasons four and five. Mm. And they've like publicly apologized basically for oh, it. Oh, interesting. Well, semi-publicly. See, I, I don't know a lot of the uh, the background information. I just watched the show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I obviously have a lot of background information because I've been watching this show since it it premiered. Right. Right, because I was primarily watching Red vs. Blue at the time, and then I transitioned to primarily watching Ruby. Right. So yeah, I've been following the development of it too. Okay. It's it's good that they know that they didn't do so hot with seasons four and five. Obviously, we're gonna get into why that 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 wasn't the case. Sure. But before we do, I I, yeah. I just I just want to touch on this one more time, which is that all of the characters should have their own unique fighting styles, right? And the fact that Monty was able to blend them together as well. Yes. Is, is really good. Oh right? my god, the team like, fights! <gasps> the team oh. fights, yeah, absolutely the team fights. The the first team fight against the Nevermore, which is the big crow yes. creature, right? Yes. It shows you every aspect of their team dynamic, yes. right? Yes. It, it shows you the, the team play between, you know, Blake and Yang, 
and between Ruby and Weiss and mm-hmm. the way that each of them utilizes their powers, yes. right? It's such a like a solid understanding of the way that those characters act mm-hmm. that even though they don't, I will say that the actual writing portion of it is quite clumsy, which I mean, I'll, I'll give them a pass for in seasons like one through three because they were amateur writers. Like I get right. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But a lot of that was very much carried by this this visual storytelling Mm. Where you knew exactly how they interacted because you know the way they fight together. Yes, I loved that you could see that uh, you could see the potential for how they could fight together, but because they were so new to each other's fight styles and new to each other's powers, you could kind of see a bit of that like uneasiness or clumsiness in terms of their teamwork. But then it starts getting better and better and smoother and smoother and then you're just like, ah, I want to see the fight as a team all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> yeah. And, and this is this, like, here's the problem is that they've kind of, you know, dropped that. Yeah. Right. And yeah, here's four things that I'm going to say one for each character. <laughs> okay. For Yang, stop, just stop. <laughs> like she stays close to the ground. Her style is very grounded in kickboxing and, if she's in the air, she wants to return to the ground as soon as possible. It's it's like she kind of just flies all over the place now. Hmm. And it, it, it it's not great. Mm-hmm. For Blake, I think honestly, I think Blake is fine. Like actually, now that I think about it, I think because Blake's fighting style is the hardest to do well in a way that is like stand out from because it's I, I think the line between doing Blake's fights well and not well is is kind of blurry. I think her fight style is a lot more flexible compared right. to you well, know her- someone like Yang, which, which is very clear cut. Yeah, I, I think the the thing is it's and this is what I'm beginning to realize is mm-hmm. that the reason that Blake's animation I don't really have a problem with is because everyone else takes Blake's animation. Basically, they just take her <laughs> moveset. Weiss needs to fight more with her sword. She's a practice swords person. Oh, yeah. You need to show the fact that Weiss is a disciplined character who has mm-hmm. had a lot of formal training. Mm-hmm. You can see that when she uses her magic, she augments it with her magic. Like she augments her sword play with her magic a lot and she yeah. uses it to move around. Right. Yeah. And that's the second purpose of everyone having a gun except for Weiss, which makes sense. It's so that they also have a way to propel themselves. Yeah. Weiss, you can't just have Weiss be like, okay, I'm going to use magic and then not do anything else. Yeah. You can't see that's the that's kind of the problem that I began to have with her like summoning power is that like, okay, you've taken all the interesting parts of Weiss out. I visually. Yeah, I, I at first I was really excited about her summoning power because I was like, oh, she would be able to use that in tandem with her sword fighting. Right. It'd be like having two Weisses on the field, but one is a lot bigger. Right. Uh, and then a big it Weiss. didn't. It, yeah, big big armored Weiss. <laughs> uh, and it didn't turn out that way. And I was really disappointed because Weiss's fighting style is one of my favorites, uh, especially out of the main team, because she, hers is so different. It isn't, isn't shooty, shooty, gun, gun. It's I'm going to move myself with ice magic and then slice you up and do a lot of really cool moves doing it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And here's my here's my big one. Here's the biggest one, the most important one that I'll I'll say is you have to stop animating Ruby Scythe like it weighs nothing. <laughs> it is so heavy. That thing is so heavy. Yeah. <laughs> if you look at the red trailer, it feels like yeah. it has weight to it. And yeah, the yeah, only yeah. reason it moves the way it does is because yeah. Ruby is so good at using it. That yes. is 
the most character development that Ruby has ever gotten in the entire show. Yeah. It shows you exactly what you need to know about Ruby. She's young, she's reckless, she's fast, and she's naive. Yeah. But my god, she can handle a weapon. Yeah. And um, I think uh, there there's a lot of good comparison to be drawn between Ruby's scythe animations versus Maka's scythe animations in Soul Eater. Which right, are both, exactly. You know, they're both skinny high school girls in skirts running around with giant oversized scythes and yet they wield them so fluidly but they also have such good weight to them like you see in soul eater the ground gets cut up all the buildings get you know nicked or whatever and there's a solid good smack or clang whenever maka lets soul down you know or like you know swings him around uh and uh i do feel like it's in the more recent volumes that they've kind of de-emphasized a lot of that with Ruby's fights. Uh, and it doesn't quite feel like, um, there, there's a lot of talk about, you know, in, in games or whatever about a gun feeling good, right? The, the reaction right. time, the weight or whatever. And I feel like there's a lot of analysis there that could be reapplied back into, uh, especially Ruby's weapon, right? Because yeah, it is especially heavy gun Ruby as a series. Yeah, yeah. Because like all of you their know, weapons cuz they're so it's so weapon focused. You know? Right. It's it's weapon focused especially Ruby because it's a 3D animated series. It's basically a video game that you watch with your eyeballs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean they also they have a game also based on the oh, show. Oh yeah, the the fighting game, right? Yeah, I I hear it's decent. Okay. I mean, I get it. I understand, but it's just like it's the little things about about Ruby. Yeah. It, I mean, it, again, if you go back and watch the the red trailer, she has a lot of these moments where she is is moving the scythe, but I I feel like a lot of these moments are augmented by the fact that it was already moving to begin with, right? Is mm-hmm. this this kind of conservation of momentum. And Right, right. Here's the thing. A fight doesn't have to be realistic cuz God knows it's not realistic. <laughs> but it has to be internally consistent enough that it is believable, right? Mm-hmm. You can suspend your disbelief if it is consistent. Sure. And the fact that Ruby Scythe has gone from being like a two-ton death machine to like a sword basically, just like a, a sword, uh-huh. it it sucks. Yeah, that was that was the reason a lot of people started watching the show is because ooh, it's a cool animation, right? They wanted to see what what yeah. they would do with this three D animu style. <laughs> Plus, okay, and I will say, I, I like this. This these are these are all things that are connected. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that Monty was an incredible world builder, and he understood completely how good world building and character setup leads into good conflict and mm-hmm. also understood how randomness can can play well into creation like the way that he made the uh map the world map is he just smeared some ketchup on a napkin and then folded it in half and then he was like that's the map <laughs> there we are <laughs> yep also the design of some of the weapons are super super cool and i'm yeah. sad that some of the weapons in the in the recent season are just basically like this is a cudgel this is a staff <laughs> okay like okay and okay and this is a thing that we'll talk about which is something i feel like i keep saying but we'll get to it i swear we'll get to it Mm -hmm. like adam torres's weapon adam torres aside because fuck adam not not adam coble adam Adam (laughs) i was gonna say not that adam (laughs) uh (laughs) adam torres's weapon is 
expertly designed for this exact kind of uh like i'm 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 almost gonna say like waltzy combat it's like kind of like a waltz Mm. where it starts off with one really strong action and then leads into to two smaller ones yeah and that's not the like absolute rule by which it functions but it's a pretty good guideline to look at yeah where adam's weapon is a sword yes but he wields it in a style like in in the like iaido bato jutsu style where he like draws it every time and then sheaths it mm-hmm. and there's also a gun in it right mm-hmm. that naturally creates the pauses that you need for, mm-hmm. the, for the anticipation part of a good good animation and yeah also part of part of the reason that all animation is good is because the music is good and part of the reason it's good is because the sound is really good and i don't know why okay i don't know why but for some reason i feel like the sound in season five like the sound effects were not very good (laughs) like they were kind of wimpy did you notice this (laughs) i didn't notice in particular (laughs) it felt like she was like shooting noodles i don't know (laughs) Maybe your disappointment put on a sound filter over your ears. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Okay. <laughs> Shooting noodles. <laughs> we should talk about the music, though. Let's talk about the music. <laughs> because if there's anything that's consistently good all the way through, it's the music. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, it's so good. It's, it's wonderful, and I look forward to their intro music every time. <laughs> yeah, the music is done by uh Jeff Williams and his daughter Casey Lee Williams. She Aww. sings it. So she sings Aww. all the songs. Nice. And it's it's fantastic. good music mm-hmm. it it interacts really well with both the story and the animation aspects of it yes where clearly the animations at least in the first couple of volumes are animated to be in tandem with the music and the music is created to be in tandem with the animation so they're Mm -hmm. kind of created both from the ground up where it's the music will swell and surge as the fight does couldn't bear another day without you in it all of the joy that i had known for all my life was stripped away from me the minute that you died to have you in my life so the use of music is really really good and also the lyrics are really well written arguably better written than the actual story
like that the quality of the music kind of reflects the the quality of uh of the show right like we mm-hmm. we talked about during steven the steven universe episode about how like how well the music and the story go together because there was something charming about you know how casual and and approachable the music was and it was the same with the show and i feel like the ruby music has that same quality of oh it's i mean it has a bit of that it's a little spice of that teen angst but also like a lot of that uh you know the the empowerment of of these uh characters these young teenagers you know trying to forge their way in the world is reflected in the music too listening to the music you would think that there's a lot more chemistry between the characters than there is Hmm. because a lot of these songs are about at least two characters right Mm -hmm. like red like roses part two is about ruby and her mother Mm -hmm. i know you've broken down my anger and my sadness you feel i left you in a world that's full of madness wish i could talk to you if only for a minute make you understand the reasons why i did it i want to tell you that you're all that bumblebee is about how blake and yang are completely they're super gay for each other. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> we'll sit for a while as I drink in your smile. It feels like a dream that's come true. My head starts to buzz and my heart fills with love over you. And you're going to hear me complain about this a lot, the fact that none of the main cast so far has been proven to be canonically gay, even though... All of the chemistry that exists is between, like, gay couples, basically. I think it's a slow burn, Soup. I have hope. I think it's a if, slow burn. Okay. Yeah, but here's... <laughs> I mean... Mm, mm, you, I've been waiting, like, four or five years at this point. Listen, they got, a, like, a five-year plan moving forward, and I think... <laughs> okay. And <laughs> I think I, it's I, Okay, I will say... It is important that mm-hmm. they had a canonically gay character... Yeah. That didn't end up being dead or just a complete villain the whole time. Yeah. And was sympathetic. Yeah, I like the way they wrapped up her story. And was a character. Mm-hmm. And it sucks that it had to be attached to Blake's whole deal because uh, I, there's a lot of stuff going on there. I, 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 I think that there's a lot of like really weird heteronormative expectations in this show that mm. I understand why they're there, right? Like, I understand how they've crept in there, but it's just, like, shocking to me how blind someone can be to that. Mm. Because, you know, they like, here's the thing. You said, like, oh, maybe it's a slow burn. Well, yeah, that would be great, but, like, John and Pura was the thing that was, like, foreshadowed from episode, like, two. It's just, they can do it if they want to, they just haven't. Yeah. And it sucks after all of the things that have happened in this series mm-hmm. that Blake and Yang aren't, they're not doing anything with that dynamic. <laughs> you, you, you're towing the line between uh, critique and salty shipper. <laughs> well, I, okay, and I will, I will completely admit that I'm, I'm both, but I, I do think... <laughs> I, I do think that it is 
it's odd to me that what happened was uh, sort yeah. of, I mean, okay. And this is, I, I understand because obviously Ruby is a show like Ruby and Rooster Teeth as like an entity are completely different from normal television because mm-hmm. they are like semi-professional amateur-ish productions, mm-hmm. right? And that means you're a lot closer to your, your fan base, Right. And you're going to hear them a lot louder. Right. And I understand the pressure that comes with that and not wanting that necessarily to affect your story. Sure. But also, like, it's weird to me that they had this dynamic set up between Blake and Yang. Mm-hmm. And then they kind of introduced Sun as a character to wedge in there. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah. which sucks, because I think Sun is a great character in and of himself and yeah i think that he like i i think his voice actor is like the best right off the bat <laughs> and yeah, I, I like they, him a lot i will say they all get way better over time i'm so proud of the way that the voice acting has developed mm-hmm, yeah because for sure it's gotten a lot better hearing it in the trailers is like Ugh. but then hearing it <laughs> later in the show you're like this, this is okay this is pretty good yeah yeah and then obviously like you know characters like roman torchwick completely steal the show so <laughs> <laughs> it uh, i mean okay we're i mean we're talking about characters now so let's let's talk about characters do you have a favorite character um in the early volumes i really liked uh i liked nora and penny <laughs> yeah those are very much your speed yeah uh and then as the show has proceeded now i've really liked weiss uh and okay, Yang. yes mm-hmm. um in terms of like visual fighting aesthetic it was always a tie between pira and weiss mm-hmm. um <laughs> i'm really picking them because we all know what happens <laughs> uh, yeah. but these were these were like things that i had formulated like before i knew anything that happened with these characters okay. so i was like uh when the things happened i was really 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 disappointed <laughs> okay all right um, yeah 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 but uh anyway uh yeah, I, I would say I would say that's how it is now. Like I I felt like in the beginning I wanted to like characters like John, right, who would obviously get crap from everyone because of the way that he's written, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I had uh, <laughs> See, okay. Uh, <laughs> here's the thing and I I'm, I'm going to I'm going to lead this with Jean is probably my least favorite character, mm-hmm. which is not necessarily fair because I think he's my least favorite character that is a character. He, yeah, yeah, I, I, I could say, yeah, yeah. But I kind of, here's, like, the problem that I'm running into is that I don't actually dislike Jean Arc as as a character, his existence, yeah. or, like, his presence yeah. as a character. I dislike the role that he is made to play and how it that is written. Okay. Right? And because here's here's the thing is jean arc in the first season is likable he's yeah, likable yeah. he's yeah. funny he's awkward yeah. and his voice acting is actually pretty good yeah so you know immediately you're kind of you kind of like him right he's he's like your, he's your likable like you know goofy screw up screwball he sucks he's gonna be better later right yeah, that's what I was I was investing a lot of emotions into him like because he I knew he was the kind of character that he would start off like a lot further from, you know, behind the other characters in terms of like potential, 
but that he would soon like catch up to them and even excel past them right that that mm-hmm. they they established that early on uh if if you fall on any <laughs> following followed any kind of uh you know uh, other kinds of stories like this right you could see that in john right um, yeah like jean jean arc is is like the main character of another anime yeah i mean okay arguably he's the main character of this anime until like uh, the end of season four, basically. Yeah, he's 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 the underdog character, and me, I want to root for the underdog character. <laughs> yeah. I I I think Jean Arc is a character that is mishandled because, and uh, like I don't I don't want to get too far into this before I talk about like my favorite character because like that's just kind of a bummer. Mm. My favorite, my least favorite characters that aren't characters are like the League of Villains, basically. <laughs> like f- fucking crazy guy crazy guy mcgyball scorpion tail dude i yeah. hate him you like him no i hate him okay <laughs> i hate that dude i hate the the big the big other guy that is just strong and that's his only power oh the guy trying to get revenge and then i i absolutely hate dr watts face why uh, does he exist oh which doctor the guy with the big broom mustache Oh, okay, 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 okay. Why does he exist? I don't no, care cause, about cause him. Because every every villain needs a doctor on their team. I hate that dude too. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Well, I guess they're good villains then. <laughs> no, it's not, they're not even hateable in like a hateable way. It's just like I, these are so bland. Are you sure. No, it's, I get it's you. like God. I'm. It, this it's isn't like even a, like eating a saltine cracker. Bland. Right. It's like the stereotype of a villain kind of thing. Like you always have the crazy guy. You always have the doctor. So yes. on and so forth. And they yeah. have absolutely zero development whatsoever. Right. And you just don't really care. They're just like there because they have to be, and they don't even have to be. Right. But anyway, all all that all that aside. Yeah. I I will say that I think my favorite character before watching the show was was yang mm. because i really like the way that her fire, fighting style is and it was always a toss-up for my favorite trailer between yellow and red mm. i will say that afterwards i think i think like post season five weiss is probably my favorite i really like the direction that her personal development went like, right. Weiss is like Weiss gets a lot of character development that I think goes pretty okay. Yeah, like the whole thing with her family, I was like, Yes, girl, break the shackles, get out of there. <laughs> I, like I think Weiss <laughs> Weiss ends up being becoming the only reasonable character, it feels like. Yeah, if she and the way that she acted at the fundraiser party, oh my god, I was like, Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh I will say I, I have I I mean I'll pre- I will like come out and say this like i have a mm-hmm. i have a big soft spot for pira i really like pira me too and i like from have, the beginning i have a lot of problems with how that character was handled mm. like a, a lot of them yeah voice actor aside i also like crow <laughs> i was gonna say like i actually do really like crow's character and even if I, you know right <laughs> you don't like I, his voice actor i like i like crow, crow as a character yeah. i like the way i like his de- demeanor the way he acts I, he, I think his weapon is, is pretty cool i think it's awesome that he was the one that taught ruby her her techniques and everything yeah that she knows i just ah <laughs> oh man man vic vic mutz's face though mm. <laughs> 
I, I like he does a good job, obviously, because yeah. he's a professional goddamn voice actor. But my yeah. god, I just hate the dude so bad. <laughs> so I just, I just basically am just like, that's not Vic. Vic, what's his face? Doesn't exist. McNag, nag, nag, nag. Vic Lasagna doesn't exist. Oh my god. Only the voice of of Crow in the abstract. Okay, because I think I think Crow's done really well. I think Crow's a good character. Yes. Okay. But then, then here we run into the problem of there are too many characters and they don't know where to focus them. Hmm. Like, think, think about this. How much development has Ruby actually gotten in six seasons? Not a whole lot. Maybe like yeah. 10 minutes worth. I, well, yeah, I would say like her development over the course of the series has been like a, like a slow rise kind of thing. Like. You know, Minimal she goes from, is the yeah, word yeah. you're looking for. Exactly, it, it, it's like she starts off as clueless, reckless, you know, teenage girl. I want to become a hunter. To okay, now I have a duty and a purpose in becoming a hunter, and I'm learning how to be a leader so that others can, you know, follow my lead and you know feel inspired or whatever. Like I feel like the growth is there, but it is it is perhaps another slow burn. <laughs> I, I I just think it's wasted potential, and if they don't get to it soon, it's just going to be like, why? Maybe they <laughs> right? will, though, because they did I, it with I, Weiss. I hope so. You know, I, they, I hope so. Yeah, because like her, I think the reason why her why Weiss's arc or her development is so satisfying is because we see the stark contrast from how she was at the beginning of Volume One to how she acted in Volume Five when she was, mm-hmm. you know rebelling against her family and stuff like that for uh reasons that went beyond you know uh her title or whatever and how she was trying to become someone beyond just her name uh i think that's one of the reasons why she she is such like a a favorite with us right now versus some of the other characters that that haven't necessarily gotten that whole full round of character development yet <laughs> yes the reason i like weiss is because she's the only one of the main cast who has been sufficiently developed yeah aside from blake and i and uh i don't even want to like talk about yang right now <laughs> like i just there's a lot of stuff to talk about uh-huh. um and this episode is gonna go on forever but that's okay because i'm i'm passionate about this show so <laughs> it's important to talk about it so let let's talk about the the big problem with mm-hmm. with Ruby and the way that it handles its characters is that it foregrounds male characters in a way that takes focus away from female characters mm. which is odd in a show where the show is named after four characters that are girls and then it's just it becomes not their story really hmm. like it, okay here's here's the thing right is that the first episode you know we get oh cool ruby we get an introduction introduction to ruby we get some introduction to the world uh and then she gets to go to school and then from there on it you know there's drama between the main cast but it feels like a lot of that time is siphoned away to focus on jean and jean's development which Mm. i think is i don't personally like it but i guess it's fine right like i i mean I know that Jean is a character, and I get this from a writing standpoint, where Jean is a character that uh, is immediately recognizable to us as an archetype, and it's really easy for us to see the direction his character will go, and so that's the obviously the easiest one to write for, right? 
Sure. And I suspect that's why Jean got so much time in season one and two. Mm-hmm. And plus, like, you know, there's a lot of mysteries about him. Like, oh, why doesn't he know how to use his aura? Or right. uh, why, like, why is his, why is he suck so bad? Like, why doesn't he have a semblance? <laughs> yeah, for me, it was like, I understood the amount of time that they were pouring into him because to me, it seemed like he was going to be put in a direction where he was going to be a super key figure alongside Ruby, right? Because they were pouring a lot of time into Ruby and also... Uh, the some of the other teams, but his team and her team are going to be the main focuses. Is how I uh, understood volume the early volumes. Yeah, I mean, and and that makes sense to me. Setting up these these two different groups as as you know parallels to each other, it just sucks that as a result of Jean getting so much time and like he has like four episodes devoted to him, like. Mm-hmm. And it's not a long series either, mm-hmm. right? Season season one is not that long. It's like maybe mm-hmm. forty minutes to an hour, and uh, maybe it's an hour twenty, I think. But and like I, I think a solid thirty minutes of that is just Jean time. Mm-hmm. And again, this wouldn't be a problem if that wasn't supposed to be the norm, right? It, like this wouldn't be a problem if if season two is a return to form and we get really like really into like focusing on on Ruby and and team ruby and mm-hmm. and person ruby mm-hmm. the problem is that it doesn't really go that way right yeah. it it feels like a lot of a lot of development effort is put into john even after the point at which it should not and and again this is this is why i i dislike john not so much because like i hate his character or anything or his archetype, because I th- I like the archetype. I like this like kind of goofy goober sucker archetype that is bad and then it becomes good. Sure. But I I think that the series foregrounds him a little bit too much. It puts a little too much emphasis on him at the detriment of the other characters. I would not have a problem with it if this was a a full twelve episode, twenty four minute per episode series. But because it's not it saps time away from what would otherwise develop the main cast. Mm, and I, I see what you're saying. It, and it takes, more importantly, it takes the spotlight away from female characters to focus it on a male character, which is weird when the show is named after four female characters. And this, and I will say, this is a problem that doesn't get better even after Jean become, doesn't become the focus of the show because seasons five and six don't, like, they, they do a lot of work to pull that back yeah. to not like move away from Jean as like the focal point, which I think is good. I think that's a lot of, I think that's important, Mm -hmm. but the problem is that they introduce another male character to be the focus of the show. Mm. Well, they actually introduced two. So it, it, the problem with seasons four and five is that they become less about Ruby and like, okay, they become even less about team Ranger even. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they become more about crow and they become about Oscar. Right. Mm. And Oscar as as a proxy for Oz. Right. And it it's like the story suddenly is not about, you know, Team Ruby saves the world. It's Crow and his gang of teenagers try to figure out what the fuck is happening with Professor Ozpin. Right. (laughs) Like, what did Oz do wrong? Yeah. Having watched the first two episodes, this problem is still continuing. 
okay, they're they're doing a lot of damage control with season six, and and I'll get into um what I mean by that. But they're finally getting some. They're finally doing some like backfilling, some backwards like work to fill in why we're supposed to care about these characters in the first place, mm-hmm. and. The big secret is that, oh, Ozpin is hiding something, and it's probably some terrible thing that he did, right? Mm-hmm. Which is fine and all. And once we're over that, I feel like, okay, we can move past Ozpin now, please, please. Because I hate the fact that Oscar, as a character, like comes in and basically kind of just takes space away from other characters that I would rather be focusing on. Right. It, it feels like with uh, characters like Jean or... Oz or Crow, they're best utilized in very certain key moments, right? Like, like pull them back. They're there. They're obviously interacting with the other characters, but the the focus has to be on Team Ruby or you know developing the bad guys or you know the main conflict, whatever. Also, Oscar is just John two point oh. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, like, uh, like you said, when they pull John back, I also I noticed that. But I also didn't mind it. Um, and then when he did have his spotlight moment, when they finally learned how he can use his aura, which is to heal, it was really good. It was a really good right. moment. And exactly. It, and it, it felt like he his character developed in a really good way, even though he didn't have that much screen time prior to that. Right. Um, aside mm-hmm. from, you know, watching everyone get blown up or whatever. <laughs> and uh, So I think if they applied that with all of the other, you know, the, the characters that um, you're, you're saying are sucking away time from, you know, Team Ruby or Team Ranger or whatever, then that would be a better way to write them in. Here's, here's a metaphor that will make sense if you've ever played a Fire Emblem game, which you have. <laughs> so you know how you always get that character that is really strong at the beginning of the game, like Frederick? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you just use Frederick to kill everyone, all your other units will be weak. Yeah. That's basically what these male characters are doing to the the main female cast mm. is they're just taking away screen time and development time and moments for them to interact with the world and they are they're just not letting them develop which is why Ruby is still basically at like like level 1. Yeah. And okay, and this and this is like this is I feel like exemplified by the fact that Pira fucking has to die for Jean to do anything. Mm, yeah first of all i like pira so it sucks that she dies second yeah. of all i hate that the moment that someone dies it has to be pira yeah. and like i hate the fact that she's fridged for the sake of jean's development and that's like yeah even god even even the like insult to injury right what what happens when pira dies and you know her stuff is given to jean jean melts it down and turns it into armor what what that's so shitty uh, well, I I thought that was like a tribute to her, though. Like, no, he... no, I didn't like it at all. I thought it was. <laughs> okay. I thought it was just like this is just the the like this is the point where like it's physically manifesting the way that Pira has been turned into character development for Jean, and that sucks. Oh, I I, I can see what you're saying. Don't do this to your female characters, okay? Like, just don't. I think in it, I think if it was like rather than it being like sacrificing a female character yet again for another male protagonist's uh, resolve, um, and it had just been like these two characters, one of them you know sacrifices themselves for the other, and then the other character subsequently uses you know 
one of their items to uh, infuse into their shield and basically kind of signify like, oh, this character is carrying on with me and they're continuing to protect me, then I think it's fine. But the fact that it does kind of feed into that whole uh, problem with a lot of uh, storytelling of, uh, uh, of female characters being either, and, and we've talked about this before, either being moms, love interests, or sacrifices, or any combination <laughs> of that yeah. is uh, it, really, really crappy. <laughs> like, what's, it, it's basically like, what happens to Jean and Pira is the plot of every movie ever. Yeah. Where Pira is infinitely more capable than Jean, and so she'll just carry him to victory, and then yeah. she dies. And yeah. then that becomes the moment when Jean has to actually do something. Like, I understand what they were trying to go for in terms of, like, Pyrrha was their shining hope of the Academy, not necessarily of, like, n just being John's love interest, but, like, she was their top star, right? And the mm -hmm. villains in taking her down, like, that was their way of uh, showing how they won. They've completely won over the Academy. Right. Uh, but, yeah, the the whole, like... You know, the fact that she falls for John and then I, I understand why the resentment of how her character ends up would be there. <laughs> well, because here's the here's the problem is, is that at that point, Oz has already been killed, quote right. unquote. And I feel like that's a better symbol of of the Academy falling. It, I get I, I completely understand where you're coming from, though. Mm -hmm. I completely understand this. The perspective of. You know, Pira is the student. She right. is the shining example of of the academy, and to have that arc end right there is is uh, supposed to be like this blow against uh, the academy. Right. I, I will say, I think it's I, I okay. Because imagine, imagine this, right? Imagine mm. the opposite happens, mm. where because that moment is supposed to signal to us, the viewers, that the tone of the show is changing, right, right. and becoming darker, right. And that's fine and all, right? But I think that it would actually have gone better if Jean died right there, right? And that's not just because I, I dislike him. Like, imagine <laughs> what you do to what you do to all the characters, right? First of all, Ruby actually is friends with Jean and cares about Jean, right? And like, I mean, she's interacted with Pira like once, right? So it makes it would make a lot more sense if Jean dies you know, doing his dopey shit and he gets his like shining moment of, of glory protecting someone before he, he just dies. Right. Mm -hmm. The reason that is infinitely more tragic is because Jean is a character that has not been fully developed. Right. Yeah. He still doesn't have, he still has not reached his full potential. And the fact that that gets cut off. Right. Would be legitimately upsetting. It, w it would be like the murder of a child or a student because right, right. It, that that's the nature of these kids is that they're kids trying to hone their potential and, and discover it. Uh, yeah, I, I get that. And, and Jean is a character, especially that is like a reformed character where mm. he's already made the resolve to get better. Right. Also think about what that would do for Pira's character because yes. Pira is a character that was never intended to be developed into anything other than right. Jean's love interest. Right. Imagine what that does to a character. It suddenly makes her independent and it suddenly makes right. it so that she has to carry on the legacy of a character who is basically terrible, except he did one really great thing. Yeah. And she'll constantly live her life like 
basically trying to trying to live up like i think that character arc would be a lot stronger and obviously like there's nothing you can do about it it's over and done with sure and uh, i feel like that would be good because it subverts this idea of a fridging a female character for a male character's growth and at the same time does more for the characters right because i think at that point uh, I think what they could have done if they went that route was uh, they had already had John forming bonds with a lot of the students at the academy, right? Like he, you know, like you said, became friends with Ruby. He was, of course, friends with his own team, but he was also making friends with like the bullies who were totally crappy to him and right. uh, slowly trying to gain the respect of, you know, all the people around him, despite being how majorly dorky or whatever, right? I think if they had pushed that a little more and and basically showed how, wow, this kid really does have potential and he really can grow with all these other kids and 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 train hard to be like them and then and then <laughs> have that squashed by the bad guys. Yeah, I think that would have meant a lot. And I like now that you pointed out, I do see how. Pira's entire character was hinged around John because you so rarely see her interact with anyone aside from him, mm-hmm. like on a one-on-one circumstance, right? Like she, even with her own team, the person that she talks to the most is John. Like I don't think I remember seeing her interact in particular with Ren or Nora at all, right? Or yeah. if they, or if she did, then it was the topic of conversation was John. Um, so. Yeah, it would have done a lot to to establish her as an independent character. But then again, her character from then from then on would have still been hinged around John, right? Even if he was gone. So I think the whole entire treatment of her character probably should have been done differently from the get go by not having her focus only on John. It's kind of like uh, I don't know, like how they treat Tifa in Final Fantasy VII or whatever. Every other yeah, word out of yeah. her mouth is cloud, right? And people love Tifa, but uh, but me personally, I'm like, they could have done a lot more justice to her, right? Like all she's obsessed with is cloud, and sometimes she'll talk about her bar, you know, Cloud Nine or or Barrett and some of her, you know, the people that she regards as family, but. 99.9% of the words coming out of her mouth are have to do with Cloud. And it felt like the same with Pira, where most of her conflicts and her conversations just had to do with John, or it was her, you know, out- outclassing the other students. That was all there was to her character. And Okay, yeah. yeah. I-, I also agree. I, I yeah. think that Pira's character probably needed to be done differently from the start. Yeah. Because... I- Here's here's the thing is, I'm not saying that I don't like the dynamic between Pira and Jean. I no, think, no, it's great. Yeah, like I I like it. I think it's cute, and yeah. the fact that uh, Pira just likes somebody because you know he's not like he has no awareness of how great she is, right? Yeah, of like the the pedestal that people put her on. Yeah, I think that's yeah. I love that. I yeah. I love that trope. Yeah. it's just that. If that's the only thing about her character that matters, then yeah. that kind of sucks, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, I, 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 I will say I think it gets a little bit more complicated in season three because they start to get into this like subplot of like you know you should be the new, uh, the new like spring maiden or whatever. Yeah, I was actually excited for that because it would give her something separate that was just her her own thing, and it it right. felt natural because they were 
they were like, you're the number one student at this school. Like, you're probably the only one who could do this. And well, uh, the, on top of that, it, it also like introduces this like real conflict in her character that we get to see a little bit of before she just goes. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like this this responsibility as the the best student at the academy and her own personal attachments and feelings and right. wants. Yes, right. Yes. 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 That tension is good. It's just yes. that they didn't play it up after that point. Yes. And on top of that, they actually robbed it of her. Right. Yeah. They took it from her. And this is the thing that the story of Ruby will continue to do until the end of season five, which is they will set something up. They will build up to it and then they won't do it. Hmm. Now is probably a good time to transition into that. OK. The stories of volumes one and two are pretty simple. They are very straightforward, kind of like like half slice of life, school life and half fighting monsters uh, yeah. in various circumstances, which is fine. There's yeah. this undercurrent of racial tension with the Faunus, which, okay, I'm just going to say this now. I don't care who wrote that. I don't care if it was Monty who wrote that. I don't care if it was Miles or Carrie who wrote that. They should never have touched that. <laughs> I don't think it was a good idea to put like two white dudes in charge of writing a complicated and nuanced racial topic. Mm, okay. I, and like this is I everything about that it just feels bad. Mm. Everything about that subplot feels bad. Mm. And it is entirely possible to present a world where fucking humans and animal people don't hate each other and aren't complete racist terrible people to each other like completely racist terrible people to each other mm -hmm. and still have tension mm -hmm. i i think it was a misstep to have the primary antagonists of the first couple seasons be a a terrorist organization that arose from a civil rights activist group mm -hmm. and the farther we get into the current political sphere the worse and worse that ages Mm. Uh, it's like there there is a line here and there that is like okay i can see that right mm -hmm. like when when blake says about you know the the violence of the white fang you know she's like oh um it like it's the once our leaders changed we stopped being a group about like you know protesting and stuff and then we had organized attacks and then people took us seriously which is like yes sometimes it is important to recognize the role that violence has in exposing conditions and truths mm -hmm. that nonviolence cannot necessarily, right? But it's just everything about that after that point is just handled terribly. Mm. And I, I feel like it's not even my jurisdiction to talk about why that is. It's just, I'm just going to say it's not, it's not handled well and it's kind of a turnoff, mm -hmm. to be perfectly honest. Mm-hmm. It, I feel like it's possible for characters like Cardin to be like kind of a racist shitbag without that being put into the context of, oh, society's like terrible and, and awful, right? It's just like, mm. it, it's not disingenuous if you don't include it. It's just, yes, anime world has animal people. Like, can, can we stop using animal people as like a, a, a uh, kind of a, a metaphor for for actual civil rights it's just not it's not it doesn't there's some unfortunate connotations there let's just say 
I yeah, I, I understand the the unfortunate connotations. Um, I think it would have been really cool if, um, if rather than it being like a bunch of different animal people, it was like some kind of like fusion between the Grimm and the humans, right? Right. And it was yeah. this other race of of like like this hybrid race, right? And they were being marginalized because the Grimms are bads and uh, humans got to fight the Grimm. And I think that is a more natural conflict, or at least visually a more natural conflict than uh, people with animal parts um, uh, being against, or humans being against them, right? Because Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. it's odd to me that the, the setup of it is is like, oh, people came from the dust and then monsters tried to eat them. So then they develop magic. Then also there's racism here, right? It's like, there's no point to it being there, so it shouldn't be there, especially if your writers are not sensitive to that kind of material. Mm. Right, and this, is, this goes back to our, our talks about, you know, this is why we need diverse creators, right? If you want someone to handle that kind of setup well, you mm-hmm. need someone who understands it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the kind of thing that is... I'm going to say it's like nigh impossible to really like nail it without having, without knowing about it. And like, even if you could, it's just like at that point, you're kind of just taking space away from someone who's of, of those, those marginalized groups. Sure. So yeah, I don't think that's a thing they should ever have touched. Uh, so that's kind of a big issue I have with the story as a whole. Mm. I think the first couple volumes, like the first two volumes suffers a little bit from not having enough airtime basically. Right, because like some of the episodes are like five or six minutes long, which makes sure. sense given their crew size. But uh, the fact that they tried to cram in both slice of life school and like character drama and fighting monsters, it just didn't balance really well. Yeah, which yeah, is some. Th- there was some like episodes that felt really good, some that didn't, and yeah, I think it does have a lot to do with the amount of time that they could put into the episodes. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like, for the most part, seasons one and two feel like kind of some ancillary stuff between the fight scenes. Right. Which, I mean, is is what Ruby has always been uh, about from, from its inception. But it's pretty evident now that we're away from even the fight scenes, right? Right. But yeah, I, I here's and like here's the, the, the biggest issue that I take with the story overall of, mm-hmm. of Ruby is I, I, I actually like it, right? Is I, I adore Ruby. Right. And that's that's why I'm talking so passionately and I'm so angry about a lot of this stuff is because I I love this series and I've been following it since, you know, it aired. Mm -hmm. And it's it's sad to me that all of the potential in volumes one to three becomes like completely wasted and squandered in volumes four and five. Yeah, I I definitely have to say that volumes four and five, when they take that very dramatic turn away from what they had been setting up in volumes one through three like that's when i started distancing myself from feeling attached to the show i i basically got to the point where i was just like okay come on autoplay get me through this show like i uh, like i need to get through this as quickly as possible like this like that's how i felt like it it was almost like a chore and that really is is it sucks to say because i don't want to say that about something that was so lovingly created right there's clearly a lot of effort and a lot of people that were put behind this project and there's a lot of love in the community for it. Uh, I, and it sucks that the writing, um, the storytelling didn't hold up in a way that 
that, that kept people invested, right? <laughs> like, I feel like right. at that point it was, it was just goodwill, like people like goodwill that was developed really well in the first volumes as, you know, as clumsy as some parts were, mm -hmm. they were charmingly clumsy, right? You could understand. Right. And it felt like the growth was just like smashed <laughs> and, and in lieu of something else. Um, and yeah, of course the circumstance, given the circumstances, it's, it's understood, but it's still, it's still unfortunate. You know, mm -hmm. if you analyze it as, as a product without, you know, knowing the, the, the development, uh, hangups and, and, you know, some of the stuff that happened, you know, the unfortunate things that have happened, you have to analyze the show for what it is. And, and, and that is definitely when you feel the drop. Yeah, for sure. It, it, it certainly, it takes a turn. And I, I think that, I actually think that volume three was a good transition, mm. right? I think that having to like having to switch from having Monty there to not mm -hmm. is hard. Yeah. Apparently most of season three was done, but okay. it feels it feels a lot like the latter half of that season is a send off and a transition. Right. Sure. And things it's the point after which things can kind of never be the same again. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. I think I think that's OK. I, I think it's fine if if you you take all the stuff that was built in in the the previous seasons and then move in a different direction. But the problem I have is that they then took that and they didn't really like go anywhere satisfying with it. It's yeah. A, seasons four and five feel just as lost as the characters do. Yeah. And that would be okay, I feel like, if it was it was done in a way that was satisfying to watch, but it wasn't. Yeah. It's a problem because they first of all they split up all the characters. Sure. That's fine. I actually like that trope. That's like one of my favorite One Piece tropes. Sure. Is where all of the all the kids get all the, the crew members get scattered and then they have to find each other again. And right. then when they're together, they're like, Oh, we're stronger now, right? Right. I, I like that trope, but they didn't do it so well because it feels like there's a lot of, first of all, the average airtime of the show goes up a lot, but they don't really handle it well because it feels like there's a lot of like really slow kind of, there's, it just drags. Mm -hmm. It's really boring. Mm -hmm. And it, it's just, it feels like the heart of the show has, has been lost, which makes sense, but it also feels like it, they don't know where they're going with it, even though the plot says it does. And right. It, it, well, sorry to interrupt. It, it it felt like they opened up the world, right? Which I liked that direction, right? It's just like, okay, well, the academy's gone, so they can't stay there. They mm -hmm. have to. They go their separate ways out into the ether. Um, but it felt like, even though that's the direction that they were pushing towards, like seeing the rest of the world, the world wasn't developed yet. The world wasn't ready to be seen yet. <laughs> I mean, and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it, if they had a lot of that established already, or at least before they decided to go in that direction, then it would have felt a lot better, a lot more driven, and a lot less aimless. I also, I also think that part of this is fundamentally a problem with the character writing. I think right. the reason that it's like not that interesting is because the characters, for the most part, don't really go through any meaningful change. Like, there's no aside from Weiss, really. Even Blake's arc is kind of like meh. Mm. 
right? It's it's kind of like supremely meh, right? <laughs> she goes home and she almost gets assassinated and then she meets her parents and then she continues to almost get assassinated and then they leave. Mm. It it doesn't really feel like Blake and Yang after season three both have a lot of trauma. Mm-hmm. And the way that it's handled is not really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think for for Yang, it's like it just feels like it drags on for too long and it like you just tread the same ground over and over again until it's it's rote. Mm-hmm. And it's like I care about Yang, the character, mm-hmm. but I don't want to sit here watching her whine for 20 minutes because she doesn't have her arm anymore. <laughs> uh-huh. I get it, but there was a way that you could have handled this much more elegantly. Basically, same deal for Blake. It's like, oh, I'm always running away. Right. Which is like, cool. Yeah. Congratulations. Why did it take an entire two seasons for you to realize that? Right. It took you two seasons to realize that and then go back, which is like, yeah, it's like there's a lot of unnecessary conflict that doesn't go anywhere. It's not productive. Sure. I think I think it was a I think this is something that's difficult to to balance in writing in terms of like they both suffered a lot of trauma and the, you know, first the acceptance of what happened and then the subsequent recovery period of it is quite difficult to execute, right? Like, so mm-hmm. how long is it okay for your character to lament the the fact that they lost a freaking limb, right? She prides herself so much on her ability to punch things, and now she is left with one less fist to punch with, <laughs> basically. And I think the fact that, you know, she she does spend a lot of time, like, isolating herself from Ruby, for example. I think that was a good development of, or a good... Uh, you know, show of her trauma and and the fact that she ends up internalizing a lot of frustrations that she's having comes out well. But then also the fact that they had to then balance that with the fact that she is a strong character, a strong character that got knocked down. So how do mm-hmm. we show her getting back up? How do we show that realistically? And I'm not sure that they executed that super well, right? Because it feels like right. they they almost skipped a lot of it. They skipped from... Trauma to, okay, uh, you gave me a new arm, but I'm still not super okay with it. And then next thing you know, she's practicing with her dad. And one could say, oh, that's that's just, that's a show of her spirit. You know, that's a show of how strong she is. But I'm not, I'm not necessarily so on board with that, though. Um, we don't get to see that it, that's has- why. <laughs> well, I'm not saying that she's she's supposed to, you know, show weakness or whatever. But I'm not sure that's how I would show a strong character getting knocked down and, and getting back up and in, in, in that kind of way. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I completely agree with you. Is I think the problem is that we're shown the wrong parts of Yang's recovery. Mm. I, I think mm. we get to see all the boring parts and we don't see any of the, the interesting ones, right? When she finally gets back up, it doesn't feel like anything. It doesn't feel like... I, and I, I, I can't pinpoint exactly why this is either. I just don't think it's executed well on any level because... Mm-hmm. Normally, when a character has been knocked down, who like who is you know ostensibly invincible, right? That's right. the kind of character that Yang is, the kind of persona she presents. Right. If if a character like that is like horribly injured, right? The moment when she gets back up to keep fighting is supposed to be like this this moment of valor, right? This moment of bravery and courage, mm-hmm. and you know it conceptually. That's what it's supposed to be, but that's not the way that it feels when mm-hmm. she gets up. You're just mm-hmm. like, oh, I guess she's finally moving. 
Right. And I feel like it, it doesn't necessarily have to even be a showy moment, but it should be significant to the character. It should be significant. Yeah. 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 That's that's the same problem. It's the same problem with, with Blake's arc is that there's no... Even after the point at which she realizes, right, she's so embroiled in the conflict on the island that she's she's in that, like, she can't leave even though she's already had that moment. And it just, it drags on for too long with too little, we should talk about what happens at the end of season five, right? It's the, all of, all of the buildup, built up over season five, which I actually, I, I thought season five started decently, okay, right? Mm-hmm. All of it gets thrown out the window. <laughs> right? So, uh-huh. first of all, you have Cinder, who is suddenly really powerful again after having been nerfed, after being introduced to the League of Villains, because they're just like, well, we can't ever be too strong. But she also has magic powers that let her beat anyone in a fight. So what do we do? Oh, we just make her really weak. I think the power level of Cinder is just too inconsistent to feel good. And she ostensibly is killed off by raven a character who we don't give a shit about like we i personally could not possibly care less about raven branwen mm-hmm. raven branwen is like the mother from hanabato cranked up <laughs> it's just like i don't even have a reason to leave i'm just gonna leave uh <laughs> i feel like i feel like it's the hanabato mom with more screen time yeah, she she gets more screen time, and for some reason, she is the one who gets to fight Cinder, the person who killed Pyrrha. Yeah, season six, you show they show that Cinder's still alive, which is weird. First of all, I don't know if that's how that's supposed to work <laughs> because I don't the maiden powers only transfer if she dies. Um. Yeah, I thought so. Like at, at what point? Know. At what point remember. does Raven just realize, like, oh, I don't have magic powers right now? Oh, is that what happens? No, hang on. No, Raven has the Summer Maiden's powers, but then she kills Cinder. So then the power should either go to Raven, or if they don't, if they can't stack with another Maiden's powers, they go to someone else. So I guess that that must be the explanation: is that two. Two maidens cannot be the same person. So mm. the assumption is, well, I killed Cinder, so her powers will go somewhere else. Mm. Like, I don't, I don't, that's not a satisfying way to end either of those arcs. It's not a satisfying way to end Raven and Yang's arc about Raven abandoning them. Yeah. It's not a satisfying way to end Cinder, who first of all kills Pyrrha and is like the primary antagonist. And then she isn't. And then she is again, kind of. But then she isn't because she gets quote unquote killed. Yeah. And then the whole conflict with Adam Torres, where you're expecting like Yang and Blake to just beat the shit out of him, and then he just leaves. It's just like you're not fucking worth I it. I hated Adam. that so much. <laughs> that was the least satisfying moment of my life. I was like, you built up an entire two seasons of Blake waffling about how sad she is that Yang got hurt because of her as a result of Adam. And you're just going to have her leave. Like they, and they're not going to fight. They, I understand that they wanted to show, like, Blake is, is basically, like, looking down on him this time, right? She's saying that he's not worth, worth the time. She's got bigger things aside from Adam, who yeah. Adam is like, everything's about me, 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 me. Um, but 
you like I would have understood also if it was like at that point they had crushed him to to the degree of his character actually changing right and you would know yeah. that he's gonna go in a different direction than what he is but by the by by how they had left it you know he's gonna just do the same exact crap <laughs> just <Okay>. different <laughs> I am two episodes into season six yeah and in the first episode or two, he yeah. goes in and just kills a bunch of people. <laughs> Adam Taurus is a menace. <laughs> like you didn't do anything change. about you didn't <laughs> do anything about a character that you know will kill people. Yeah. <laughs> that is you can't like I understand it, right? Yeah. Like logically I understand yeah. it's you you've created this situation in which Blake has chosen to be the better person. Right. That doesn't matter. Right now, like you can still that take him to matter task. You can when, have him when Adam is out there hurting <laughs> people. I know they should have arrested him. She should have like it should have been like a, a a deliberation of oh should I fight him and and kill him myself or should I do the right thing and have him arrested? It should have been yes. like that versus like letting him go. Oh my god! <laughs> the moment the moment of of conflict should have been that exact moment where it's just like. Do I kill you myself or do I let the police take care of yes. you? Right? Not, you're not worth fighting. Blake, he's gonna go out and kill people. Yeah. You know he is. You know he is. You know <laughs> what he's like. Yes. That's why you left in the first place. Because he was going to I kill don't know. people. It is so wild to me that that's the direction they decided to go with that. Yeah. And. You know, season season six, episode one or two, he just shows up and starts killing people again. Yeah. Like, we knew this would happen. Yeah. We knew this would happen. Yeah. And that's why it wasn't satisfying when Blake just leaves, because you know he's just going to continue doing what he's been doing. Yeah. It's not a moment when he's like, you don't, it's not satisfying. Yeah. To anybody. Yeah. So I don't understand, I don't, I don't understand that decision. Yeah, they I, didn't have the proper character development for for Adam <laughs> at that point. Okay, <laughs> I'm 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 actually telling a little bit of a fib. I do know why they did it. Mm. Okay, the reason they did it, and this is completely misguided. I think that the the whole Adam Adam Taurus uh, Roman Tartrick situation was completely misguided because mm-hmm. <laughs> you can see even in season three the kind of like unsatisfying conclusions to some of these arcs. Yeah. Roman Torchwick, a character who basically stole the show, like ran away with it. Like people loved him because his voice acting was great, his character was was great, and people actually liked him as a villain. Hmm. Right? Cuz he's like just the right amount of like sleazy and like scummy, but also just kind of like, "Hey, I'm a, I'm a fast-talking dude and mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I'm a bad guy." Mm-hmm. They just kill him off. One off, they he's just dead. <laughs> they just he's dead mm-hmm. and then neo, neo disappears mm-hmm. and that's it that's mm-hmm. the end of the story and that is like we should have seen it at that very moment that that was the way that all of these villains would go just mm-hmm. kind of really unsatisfyingly mm-hmm. so that's the reason why they spared adam taurus and cinder it's because they're the only villains we care even a little bit about right which is which sucks. Really, what they should have done is resolved that satisfyingly, at least one of those arcs satisfyingly in season five, yeah. and then moved on to season six. Yeah. If Adam Torres died in volume six or was otherwise incapacitated, I think 
the the season would have worked a lot better even if Cinder was killed by Raven in even though she's not actually dead. Right. So yeah, uh I I mean, yeah, I'm just I'm upset with how they wrote it and I think it could have been much better. I think that volume 6 is like looking up. It okay. seems a lot more like they know what they're doing. Yeah. I I hope that they have more better feeling villain resolutions. <laughs> I, I hope so. Because they're doing a lot of damage control with Volume 6. They finally got the main cast back together and they're talking to each other. Even though, you know, we don't really have any satisfying conclusion to, oh, I'm sorry I hurt you. I, th- I think we're going to get that. Because I think they're foreshadowing it with some of the... Like, the character interactions right off the bat are just way better. Like, mm-hmm. Blake feels really bad about what happened to Yang, and so mm-hmm. she's just, like, trying to help her. Mm-hmm. But Yang feels patronized by that, and that mm-hmm. doesn't feel good. Yeah, so that, I think yeah, that's gonna I be, like that direction. I think that's going to be resolved in, yeah. like, kind of a, a nice way. I hope. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I hope. God, I hope. Please, please. <laughs> Give me this. <laughs> They're finally getting into some backstory about, about Salem and Oz and why we even care a little bit Thank about the bejesus. I need this. <laughs> I, I don't think we'll ever get backstory about Crazy Dude because I don't care about him. And you can't make me care about him. I don't care what you do. You could say that he grew up in an abusive family and saved puppies. And that's why he turned out <laughs> crazy. And I would still be like, no, fuck that guy. Um, I don't care about Dr. Watts. And his dumb mustache. I don't understand why there was a League of Villains except to fulfill the function of there being a League of Villains. I don't like the amount of focus that Oz has taken, but I understand it. And if they move away from Oz after whatever secret is happening, obviously it stands to be seen some of this stuff because we're only two episodes into season six. Right. And... Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't have access to season uh, to to uh, episode three yet, so I can't watch it and tell you what's going on. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I'm actually, I'm actually legitimately curious and interested now again okay. in, in the show. Okay, uh, a lot of it feels like everything about the show feels a lot better in volume six, and I hope they don't squander that that goodwill that they're beginning to build up again because there's a lot of <sighs> a lot of damage control that goes on. And I think I, it feels yeah. a lot better. I really, I, really want the show to succeed. Even though I don't like Oscar. I think that <laughs> Oscar's a dumb character. And there's no reason for him to be there except for as a container for Oz. It's, it's fine. Look, like, it is what it is. And I hope they yeah. will run in a good direction with it. And I will be cautiously hopeful if only because i do like i said i love the investment that has been put into it so far (laughs) yeah like that's the thing about ruby right is it's not gonna be perfect and it's not even gonna be like close to perfect yeah because it is a i mean at this point rooster teeth is like a professional company with a bajillion dollars but still ruby was conceived as as a series that that was that had a real heart to it and a real charm to it and if they can finally kind of return to that in any in any form, right? Right. That that would I think solve a lot of a lot of these issues, right? It's 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 very confused about what it is. And here's the thing is, I, a lot of the a lot of the, you know, kind of thematic stuff about the characters has already been informed by the previous five volumes and by the the world. I think the setup of the world is actually really good, despite the fact that it's somewhat confusing because there is dust, which is like physical magic. There is aura, which is the projection of your soul, which is like inner magic. 
There's your semblance, which is your personal magic ability. I think that, I think that's it. And oh, <laughs> then there's real magic. There's real magic that mm-hmm. the the maidens have. Um, I, I, I actually like this contrivance because it's like the introduction of aura as a thing that protects your body makes it suddenly makes everything make sense. Where it's just like, oh, that's why these kids can just hit each other with bladed weapons and be fine. Sure, right. And like shoot each other with the guns. Yeah, I think. It's it's a pretty cool way of showing like this is this is like health right this is this is your hit points right um this without it being explicitly hit points because it's like you can still fight after you have no aura it just means that you're really vulnerable to actually being hurt right and I like the semblances because the semblances are always um they say something about the character in a really yeah. really interesting way yes Ruby's semblance is speed yeah because she's growing up too fast. The world is, <laughs> yeah. is moving too fast for her to keep up with, and she's yeah. just desperately trying to, to get there. Yeah. You know, uh, Blake's semblance, uh, she mentions this in the show even, Blake's semblance is is like this clone, the shadow clone, so that she can run away and have the clone take the hit. Right, you yes. Know, Weiss's, Weiss's semblance is this legacy of her family, right? And, mm-hmm. and in the first couple of seasons, m- moreover, it's her, her inability to live up to that. Right, it's like her inability to summon and, and yeah, all the exactly. other powers that her sister has, right? And and Yang's is is kind of like this uh, this ability where she gets stronger the more she gets hurt, and yeah. so there's there's a real recklessness to her character because it's hard for her to find things that she cares about and and can be attached to, and throws herself headfirst into danger, and right. that's why it feels like legitimately impactful when Yang gets her arm cut off, mm-hmm. right? Because it's a moment when her sense of self has been, you know, invalidated and yes. she has to build up a new sense of self-worth because her yes. entire self-worth was attached to punching things and being yes. punched. And the fact that she couldn't take a hit, right, is it's it's not it's it's bad for her self-esteem. You know, it's mm-hmm. not good for her. So I I really like the way that semblances inform us about the characters. Oz, you know, is a person who's lived too long crow it's just kind of funny because crows are omens of bad luck i i i I think ren ren and nora i like too um ren's i like especially the ability to just like hide yourself Mm -hmm. right and i i I like that we finally got back backstory for ren and nora yes (laughs) and i i will say this i think the dialogue between ren and nora really is the shining point of volume four yeah i like their story a lot yeah it legitimately it feels like all the characters are just kind of cardboard boxes talking to each other except for ren and nora <laughs> and then like weiss is off in asked the whatever mm-hmm. doing whatever mm-hmm. right and and she has her own own deal i think i hate i hate weiss's brother oh god yeah <laughs> why does he exist like we already had we we already had winter <laughs> we don't we don't need more of these guys well, and then Winter, obviously Weiss's dad is a big shithead like we expected. Right. Winter's the more sympathetic of the siblings, though. Like, yeah, it's, it's like true. Weiss still like, likes her, right? She looks up to Winter, yeah, so we had yeah. to have a sibling that that just was the worst. <laughs> I actually See, I actually like that. I like the fact that uh, Winter, we kind of expect to have been cold and uncaring. Yeah. But actually, they, have, they actually care about each other. Yeah. I think that's really nice. I think that's I think a so good... Too. I think yeah. it's a good dynamic to have, and it's it, it is actually legitimately subversive that her entire family isn't terrible to her. Yeah, but yeah, I obviously, you know, I feel like 
Weiss had the best character development, even though I feel like all the dialogue around Weiss was laughably bad. Weiss is the only character that like I care about, really, <laughs> in in that entire sequence. Yeah. Except for Winter, and she's not even there. Yeah. <laughs> it's this. It, yeah. I I think they know. I, I think the writers know really well how to white uh, how to white now how to write Weiss. Yeah. I just wish that that transferred to other characters because. Sun is pretty well written, and his voice acting really carries a lot of his character. Mm-hmm. Also, like, he's just kind of there because he has to be. Yeah, I'm hoping because uh, I watched a little bit of the first episode and the way that, you know, they had his send off or whatever. I'm hoping right. that. I think, his hen- I think his send off was good. Right. The send off was good. And it, it felt like you you could pretty transparently see what the writers were doing with him by the dialogue and the way that they sent him off. And so I'm hoping that because the writers set up that precedent of uh, Sun saying that he's going to return, like, you know, basically better than ever. Um, I'm hoping that's exactly what happens. <laughs> yeah, it, it sets up a good point for Sun to return at any point and it'll feel satisfying because they set it up. Yeah. And it feels satisfying because he's not like a main character. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But he is a likable character. Yeah. And I think I, th- I think Sun of all the ma- male characters is the one that suffers the least from like overshadowing the other characters around him because he I, he's just good. He's just yeah, a, he, he's a he's, good supporting character. He's a good supporting character, like almost like I mean, primarily for Blake. And so that's why I'm looking forward to his character getting separate development from Blake. Right. Yes. I, I, it's like what I wanted for Pyrrha. Right. Like I want mm-hmm. his character because he's a good character to develop into his own person. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, obviously, uh, it, we should talk at least a little bit, or we should mention Ilya, who is the canonically gay character, complete lesbian, in love with Blake. I think it gets handled okay, decently. Like, I have I have no issues with the way that it was, that her character was handled. I take some issue with how long it took for that to be introduced, the kind of hypocrisy of the writers who say like, oh, we don't want it to be like the focus of the show, but like they've already foregrounded that with, with John and Pira and yeah. uh, maybe to some extent with Ren and Nora, although the relationship is somewhat murky there. And yeah. I'm, I'm okay with it being kind of like this ambiguous, like, oh, we're just like, you know, really close to each other. Like they don't have to date for it to be a meaningful relationship. So, right. Yeah. I, I think that might actually be it. I think that's all I have to say about Ruby. Okay. For now. For now. Mm-hmm. I'm coming for you, season six. <laughs> You'll be watching closely. Yes. Yeah, I, yes, yes. I, because season six started off well from from what I've watched, and because, uh, yeah. you're you're saying that it's it's so far it's it's developing much nicer than the the previous couple seasons, and I, I might stick around. You know, yeah, I, I think the writers understand now, right? Yeah. I think they understand a lot more about how to present information to us about the dynamics between characters without just having them talk at each other. Sure. And I, I like found myself legitimately enjoying the direction that the, the episodes were going. Okay. So I'm cautiously optimistic for this season. Okay. Because we're starting from zero. Right. Which is generous considering the way that volume five ended right we're starting from zero and you're gonna have to earn my goodwill back because i love i love ruby 
and I love the world of Ruby and I am super attached to these characters because I've I've known them for four to five years now. Yeah. And I want this show to be good. Yeah, like, we I both want, want this show to be, to be good. good. I think the whole community wants it to be good. And I also I want it to be gay, but you know That's you and that's probably me. a lot of people, including well, myself, but like okay. uh, But uh, imagine it's okay imagine be, this. <laughs> yeah. Imagine that instead of being the like w- like wedge of heterosexuality between Blake and Yang, Sun hooks up with Neptune. Ah, <laughs> uh? uh, I don't. Uh. I'm, not, I'm not feeling their chemistry in terms of the romance as much as I'm feeling Blake and Yang. Uh, but I mean, okay. I, right. I would be happy so, okay. if soon. I will, I will say this though about yeah. about the, yeah. the chemistry okay. is it's so funny to me yeah. that they keep kind of introducing these heterosexual wedges yeah. in into the show in like seasons two and three yeah. with like the the dance scene even yeah. though all of the chemistry that exists is between like female characters yeah and it's it's just so funny to me this is like completely accidental completely like I. They had no idea what they were doing, mm-hmm. but because of because of the way that you know Blake and Yang develop with each other, mm-hmm. it becomes the most reasonable assumption for a romantic relationship. Yeah, and I hope, I hope to God that you know Ilya being gay for Blake is is the precedent by which Blake I, and Yang exactly will I think it realize is. their feelings for each other. Yeah, because you know. They care about each other. There is an, enti- there is <laughs> okay, an entire okay. <laughs> song about that. Like, th- th- there's a song called Bumblebee that is just literally about that. All the butterflies and the birds Keep a secret, no, they won't say a word But they watch us and they know And they're happy as they see on the road I'm just I saying know. the... the- I'm Songwriters know it too. I know. <laughs> anyway, um, I yeah, I, I I will say that like closing statement about Ruby is I think volumes one, two, and three presented a lot of charm and heart and uh, potential that volumes four and five completely squandered. Hmm. And I hope that volume six is good. Mm-hmm. Like I hope. It looks like yeah. it's going in a good direction so far, so we'll see because it's still airing. So, yep, uh, I... we don't have a verdict yet. <laughs> Maybe we'll get back to you when it's done, and I'll either be really angry or happy. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! I'll be happy. Yeah, <laughs> I. I mean, I hope. I hope it's good. I really do because yeah. I, I want it to succeed. Like like Me we've too. said, and I think it's important for productions by independent companies to do well oh, so absolutely. that we get more of them yeah right? like especially this level of like clearly it was started by people who aren't like veteran professional i've been doing this for decades yeah. people like they were people like you and me right they they had exactly. a project that they wanted to do and then they did it like that's that's the main reason why i want them to succeed and plus like the fact that it has become so wildly successful and garnered such a huge love from the community shows how much they put into the show so yeah it, yeah and honestly like it 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 is it, it is inspiring to me that this is basically a project born out of passion but also one that grows over time right mm-hmm. the reason i'm so attached to ruby is because i've grown with it 
right? Yeah. I've grown up alongside it. Yeah. And so when volumes don't hit as hard or when they kind of squandered the potential that they have, it hurts me because I want them to succeed so badly because I love it so hard. Right. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I think that's, I think that's, that's good. That's good. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you up to this week? <gasps> uh, and where can we find you on the internet? This week, um, gosh, what will I be working on? Probably finishing up commissions as uh, quick as I can because they, they're taking a while because animation always takes a while. Um, I will probably be playing more Yakuza Kiwami too. So if you want to see more Yakuza high drinks, then come on you, over. Um, I usually you stream. some of that? <laughs> you playing some of that Yakuza? The Yakuza? Yakuza? <laughs> if you want to see me, I stream on Twitch at Swandron. I also have been posting uh, lots of daily art on um, Twitter and uh, my uh, Instagram. Um, Twitter is at Swandron. Instagram is at Swan.Dron. Uh, yeah, I think that's it for me. Nice. Yeah. What about you? I am mostly going to be doing work. It is I I've passed my midterms point, which is why we had to delay the the last episode, and I am rapidly approaching like a fast moving train approaching a brick wall, my finals. So, yeah, that's terrifying. Uh I figured out my class schedule and I I signed up for classes today actually. So, uh, fingers crossed, it looks like I will probably be graduating in the spring. Ooh. So that's, that's pretty exciting. That's pretty exciting. I'm glad that my class schedule seems to have worked out reasonably well. I was worried that I wouldn't be able to make it, but then I was like, hmm, but what if I do some trickery? Yes. Stack all my classes on Tuesday and Thursday? Perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my only hurdle is going to be to get myself up for an 8 a.m. class because they only offer Lit 101 at 8 a.m. Why? Because, you know, if you 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 just have to suffer. As a student, you just have to suffer. <laughs> it should be, yeah. frankly speaking, it should be a war crime to require a literature class that early in the morning, but I'm going to just have to deal with it. Just deal with it. Talk about literature uh, early in the morning. You know, no biggie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, on the internet, you can find me uh, on all the places at Literal Soup. I will not be doing anything too interesting on them. Uh, I I tweet a lot. Uh, I actually I tweet. I've been doing this recently where I've been tweeting a lot of uh, book quotes that okay. I've been reading for class, and then contextualizing them in in modern terms. Okay. And spoiler warning: Shakespeare. A lot of those dudes super horny. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Super horny. <laughs> yeah. It was, they're just talking about sex all the time. <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah. That's, uh, I, I think that's it. I think that's it. We'll see you next time. And thanks for listening. Yeah. Fuck off, Adam Taurus. <gasps> Whoa! <laughs> and Akechi Goro, eat your fucking heart out. Oh my god, but he's not even gonna get another volume. <laughs> No, he doesn't because he's dead. <laughs> he exploded. No. Speaking of, that wasn't satisfying either. <laughs> it wasn't. It's true. It's true. It's true.
Ruby, a series where half the characters are a catchy Goro. Oh my god, no! <laughs> you are just sad because I'm right. 